Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are, uh, we are finishing up our thrift store series, and I've enjoyed this series. Uh, I enjoyed it until, um, until Friday when I was trying to finish the table. I felt a little bit like... Um, like a college student cramming at the last second, like I put an assignment off and then had some issues. And so through this series, we've just been talking about what does it mean to be restored in God? What does it mean for him to take our lives that we feel like have been abandoned and and thrown out? And what does it look like for us practically to be restored? What does that, how does that happen? And so we use this table as our metaphor. And uh, if you were here a few weeks ago when we started the series, um, it, this table did not look like this then, and uh, it was old, it had crusty stuff on it. Uh, if you watched our Facebook Live videos, it actually had big red gum underneath it, and I know it was big red because when I scraped it off, I could smell big red, which was kind of disgusting. Um, and so we took it, we went through the process with this table. So this same process we talked about uh, in, in church, we talked about what does it mean to be stripped? And we talked about taking off that outer layer that was once a protective layer, but maybe has grown old and it's not doing its job, uh, stripping away that protection, those things we feel like keep us safe, uh, whether it's our identity or our finances or whatever it is. And so that's what we did with the table. We stripped it down. The second week we talked about what does it mean to be sanded. So when, when God or the enemy strips us in our lives, that's one thing. But then God sands us down because he's trying to remove imperfections from us. And when, when we're sanded, he's actually, actually a layer of the material is being removed. And so sometimes it feels difficult because something is being taken from us that we love, part of who we are sometimes. And that's what happens. We sanded this table down. And then last week we stained it. And, um, and we talked about what does it mean to be to, to have the stain of sin removed from our lives? And what does it mean to be stained in the blood of Christ? And the, the, the blood of Christ, um, when we talked about actually thinking about it as the life of Christ staining us. Because blood sometimes has a connotation we have a hard time getting past. But think about it this way, because life is in the blood. So we're, we're covered with the life of Christ, and it stains us, and it marks us. And then this week, uh, we're going to talk about sealing. What does it mean to be sealed in God in the Holy Spirit. And so we came back and we finished up, put a coat of polyurethane on the top, and we, we put a wax uh, seal on the base. And, um, and this table is kind of like me uh, because it looks better from a distance than it does when you get up close. <laughs> and uh, my basement is so dusty, I would put the polyurethane on and I would let it sit and I would come back and there'd be dust all like in the poly. Oh, and I'd have to sand it, and then I'd get it smooth, and I'd put another coat of polyurethane on. I, I'm not kidding. I did it five times Friday night, and finally I was like, forget it. I'm done. And so it's not perfect, but it's kind of like us. It's not perfect. Um, but today we're going to talk about what does it mean to be sealed. Um, when you look at the word sealed, it's used several times, especially in the New Testament. And, and really what the seal does is it protects, it coats, it covers, it protects the wood from damage so that you can put a, a cup on there and it's going to sweat and it's going to be okay. It's not going to get into the wood. Um, and that's what the seal does. That's what that polyurethane does. It helps protect the wood and still let the, the natural look come through. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, 
And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church here is he says, number one, we've talked about this over the last few weeks. Remember, we don't do anything to restore ourselves. What we do is we submit ourselves to God and then he does the work. He's the one who does the stripping and the sanding and the staining. He does the work. He's the one who seals us. So at the end of the day, we don't get credit for it. Uh, we simply put ourselves in position to let him do the work in us. So he, he reaffirms this and says, it's God who establishes us. He gets the credit. And he says, he establishes us with you in Christ. So he says, we together are the body of Christ. We're established together. He's talking about unity. And he says, he, he has anointed us. And so over the last couple of weeks, uh, when we talked, when week two about being sanded, we talked about sanctification, and we talked about um, what does it mean to be consecrated. And this word anointed is related to these words because it means to be set apart for a holy purpose. And what we see when we're sanded, there's a purpose in that sanding to make us holy for a, pur- for a reason. He's got a, a plan for us. And what Paul is saying here is he's anointed us. He's setting us apart for a holy work, for a holy purpose. Then he goes on to say, who has also put a seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts. Um, the word seal here, it's a little different. It's, theologically, it's, it's a sort of a stretch to talk about it in the same way, in the exact same way that we talk about sealing a piece of furniture. Because in Scripture, a seal, uh, it, was, it was a mark. It's similar to the word we used last week when we, at the end of the message when we talked about being marked. Um, it can be an impression. Um, and many times there was a seal that um, you would use for a letter. They would put wax on the letter and they would stamp it and they, their seal would be in, in the wax. And it was a mark that would protect it. It would identify, do it, all these kind of things. But that's more akin to what it's talking about. So when he says, and who's also put his seal on us, it's saying God has marked us when we know Christ, when we're in a relationship with him. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, in him, talking about Christ, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, um, like I said, the, the word sealed that we use in both of these places it's the Greek word sfragizo, and sfragizo means that uh, something is sealed for security, um, for identification, what I just mentioned. That's what it means. That's what it's for, and, and we see this word used a couple of times, and what we see here, Paul says to the Ephesian church, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, so when you heard the gospel and your heart responds to it, um, you believed in him, it says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, this is what you have to understand. Um, not to take a total side route here, um, but we've talked about the Holy Spirit in some detail in the past. The Holy Spirit is not some random rogue agent of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is Jesus, is God. These are three in one. And so uh, the Holy Spirit, when, when Jesus shows up in our hearts, so when we make a confession of Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we invite him into our lives, when we surrender our lives to him, um, the Holy Spirit isn't waiting. Jesus has showed up and the Holy Spirit's going, man, I wish I could go too, right? That's not how it happens because they are one. So if, if Jesus shows up, the Holy Spirit 
is along for the ride. So what we see here is one of the primary purposes of the Holy Spirit at salvation. So he, he's the one who convicts us of sin, who draws us, and he's the one who seals us. And so what that means is when we come into relationship with Christ, we are marked by the Holy Spirit. We are identified uh, as a Christian by the Holy Spirit. He, he marks us in that moment. Now I will tell you this, um, at our church we believe in the gifts of the Spirit as well as the fruit of the Spirit. And so we believe that, that you come into relationship with Christ, and when you do, the Holy Spirit is present with you in that moment. So if, if Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you. But we believe the Holy Spirit also does a secondary work, and this is what we refer to sometimes as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is when the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us gifts uh, that we use for the glory of God, for the expanding of the kingdom of, of God, for edification of the body, to encourage the body of Christ. And so these are, are two separate works, if that makes sense. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit being resident with you, he shows up in your life at the point of salvation to seal you in, the, in, in him so that you are marked and identified as a child of God. So there are two primary purposes, we've mentioned them already, of the Holy Spirit, the, the sealing work that God does in our life. And the first is identification. Uh, I, we are identified as children of God when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. We're sealed in that moment. Uh, it's a sign of authority. So it, it, it identifies who we belong to. I mentioned this verse earlier, but we talked about it last week. In Galatians 6, 17, Paul was toward the end of his life. He had written uh, this letter to the Galatian church, and at the end of the letter, he, he says this. It makes a statement. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And he's literally talking about this word stigma, which means uh, that uh, the mark was either burned in, like branded into him, or it was cut into him. Uh, today, we might think about it in terms of being tattooed, but we are marked in Christ um, as subjects of his. So in the same way that a slave or a soldier would be marked to identify who they answer to, we're marked in Christ as well. So what we see here is it identifies who we answer to. It identifies who we belong to when we're marked, when we're sealed in the Holy Spirit. So if we're marked by the one we serve, then we are to follow the direction of the one we serve. So if, if God gives us direction. We're supposed to do what he asks. We talked a little bit last week about the, the Greek word apostolo, that it means one who's sent. And if, if, if God is doing that work, if he really is marking us and we're following his directions, that when he sends, when he gives us directions to go, we go. If we're really sealed and marked. In John 20, 21, Jesus said this, just uh, he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus said, the Father sent me, okay, apostolo, and I'm sending you. So in the same way that I'm sent, you're being sent. And you're like, yes, I can get excited about that. Remember, Jesus was sent to die, right? And all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I'm putting my hand down. I'm not volunteering anymore, right? So he says, in the same way I was sent, you're being sent. And remember what we said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about sanctification. We're sanctified to be sent. In the sanctification, the literal translation is uh, to return something to its original purpose. And so when we think about this table, um, we think about it and go, hey, it was in a thrift shop. It was thrown out. It was abandoned. It, it didn't have value. It did have value. I paid $7 for it. So its value was $7. And what we did is we took it, we restored it, and we're sending it out for its intended purpose, to, to be used in someone's home, to, to be beautiful, to, right? 
So it's being returned to its original purpose, but it's being sent out. I didn't restore this so we could take it back to the thrift store. I didn't fix it up so I could take it back and go, okay, I'm all done with this one. Bring me another one. No, it's got a purpose. And its purpose is to be in someone's house, to be used. And you have a purpose. God's restoring you, not just to send you back to the thrift store. He's restoring you so you can be sent out to your original intended purpose. In the same way that Christ was sent, you are being sent. And we have to understand that. And in 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See, we hear this all the time, that we're children of God. And sometimes we don't really think through the consequences of that. What does that really mean? In my house, I've got two daughters, Abby and Emma, 15 and 12, and they're incredible. I'm so grateful for my daughters. Um, But one of the things I've realized, I'm around a lot of teenagers, a lot of kids, and what I've realized is a lot of kids today think that they are just a gift to their parents. And they are, sort of. But a lot of kids think their purpose is just to show up and make things wonderful, and you are so lucky that you got blessed to have me and your family. Now give me the Wi-Fi password, right? You know what? My purpose here is just to make things wonderful, and so I'm here, I've showed up. Now give me what I want. I want an iPhone 10 because I need one. I need a phone that costs more than your first car. That's what I need, right? I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And what my daughters are understanding now is the older they get and the more mature they get, um, they carry my name, right? They have my last name, at least for a while. Someday I'll let them marry someone else if they can find someone that loves them as much as I do. Not gonna happen. (laughs) So they carry my name, right? And if they carry my name and they live in my house, as they get older, there's an understanding that I'm trying to help them have that there's a progressive level of responsibility they have in our family and in our home. That that if they are 35 years old still living in my house and still demanding that I take care of them and pay their bills and pay their way, there's something wrong, right? If they keep demanding things, even though they're older, I'm not doing my job. And what we have to understand in the body of Christ, in in the family of God, we are children that are adopted into the family. We are co-heirs with Christ. But as we mature, there should be progressive levels of responsibility. (laughs) If we're 35 spiritually and we're still saying, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, Just as dysfunctional as it is for a child to do that literally, that's how dysfunctional it is for us to do that spiritually. There are progressive levels of responsibility as we grow in our faith in Christ that we go, hey, you know what? Now it's not just about me. I'm responsible to to feed myself. I'm responsible to take care of those around me. I'm responsible, right? In our house, the girls do dishes. They, They have some chores and there's things they have to do. It's their responsibility. And if they don't perform their, take care of their responsibility, there are consequences to that. And I'm telling you, there are consequences in our spiritual life. When we fail to take responsibility for those around us, when we fail to understand we're restored for a purpose, that God is, is sending us out in the same way that, that Christ was sent out. We have a responsibility for those around us. We have a responsibility for our families. And so I'm telling you today, there's, 
progressive levels of responsibility as we grow in Christ. So if you are a mature believer, that's wonderful. You should have lots of responsibility. You liked it better when I was talking about my kids, didn't you? That's why one of the things, when you go through growth track, and I didn't say if you go through growth track, when you go through growth track, um, one of the things we talk about is membership at the Summit Church is not about rights, it's about responsibilities. If you go to the country club here in town and you sign up and you pay the fees, uh, they're going to say, thank you so much for becoming a member. Here's all the stuff you get now, right? You get to go swimming and play golf and meals and access. It's yours. Thank you, right? And, And that's wonderful. But this is not like the country club. See, here we don't lay out all the incredible things that we're going to give you now because we believe as mature believers, you're going to say, hey, I'm responsible. What am I responsible for now? And that's what we do. We tell you what you're responsible for. Some of you are like, I never want to become a member of this church now. That's okay. That's okay. Membership is about responsibility, not rights. So the first thing we see is it identifies this, but it's a sign of authority. And the second thing it does is it provides authenticity. So when a letter was dispatched, when someone was sent out with a letter from an authority figure and they had stamped their name on it, they'd put their seal on it, that letter was taken and it was a sign of authority. So if they were going through um, foreign lands, they could carry that letter and they could say, what are you doing? They said, well, this is a letter from the king and it's got his seal, so don't stop me because it has authority, because it has his mark on it. And in the same way, there's a sense of authenticity when we bear the mark of Christ because um, we're sealed in the Spirit and people should be able to see that. This is the part where it gets, I'm just telling you, a little uncomfortable, so you can brace yourselves if you like. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. This is Jesus talking, so if you've got a problem with it, take it up with him. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is talking about hell. And it says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So this is talking about false prophets, specifically. And it says, this is how you're going to know a false prophet, because their fruit doesn't line up with what they say they are. So if you had a fruit tree in your yard and you said, it's a, it's a pear tree. I had a pear tree in college in my backyard. Uh, there's a pear tree. And the reason I knew it was a pear tree is because it had pears, right? Like, I'm, I'm not good at, at, uh, at ornithology or whatever. I, I don't know that stuff. I just know, and it's a pear, so it must be a pear tree, right? But if that tree did not bear fruit, it's supposed to be bearing fruit. But if it doesn't, there's a disease. There's something wrong with the tree because it's not doing its purpose. And what we see here is that you can tell false prophets because their fruit does not line up with how they identify themselves. In Galatians uh, chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, we're not going to go through all that today, but I want to encourage you. You can look at that. And in Galatians 5, I think 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is what's born in our lives, what's, what's, what is produced in our lives whenever we are maturing and growing in our faith. So uh, we see these things at work. And we can identify ourselves and say, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, But if these things aren't happening in us, then it's not true. The mark is not authentic. That's how we tell 
if we're really who we say we are, is there's good fruit being born out of our lives. So let me just help you with something. If, um, ladies, if you're dating a man right now, or maybe you're dating a boy right now, and he says all the right things, he says, yes, I love Jesus, yes, I, 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 he's got the little fish decal on the back of his car, right? <laughs> Every time you get in the car, he's got it on the Christian radio station. He loves coming to church with you, but there's no fruit in his life. He, he flies off the handle all the time. He, he does things privately that he would never admit publicly. He, he, right, just go through the list. What are we saying? The fruit doesn't match up with the, the mark. So something is wrong. And I would tell you, ladies, if you're dating that guy, run. It's bad to date that guy. It's, it's horrible to marry that guy. So run. Don't walk. Because it's not authentic. In John chapter 13, verse 35, it says this. This is Jesus talking. He says, by this all people know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So what are, what are the marks of authenticity? How do we tell this, that, the, that the mark we bear is really real? Well, number one, we bear fruit in our life. We bear good fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is being born in our lives. The second thing we see, and Jesus said this. He said, um, the world will know they're going to identify that you're my disciples if you love each other really well. You know what he didn't say? <clears throat> the world will know you're my disciples because you don't go see rated R movies. He did not say that. I grew up in a tradition where uh, I went to a college, my Bible college. If they found out you went to see a rated R movie, they would, uh, there were serious disciplinary actions for you. Now, I'm not advocating we all go see rated R movies, but I'm just saying there are things we put in our lives and go, here's the standard for holiness. And this is how we know if I'm really a Christian. And so we don't dance, we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do, right? <laughs> Which is hard in Oklahoma to find a girl that doesn't chew. I'm just saying. It's hard. But we have these fake levels of holiness, and we go, hey, here's what holiness is. Here's what being a Christian's about. And what we fail to do is do what Jesus said. So we will... We won't go see a rated R movie, but we'll gossip about the person from our small group. So we would never be caught dead going in a bar, but, but we will lambast people. We will tear the pastor down on the way home from church. Yeah, I told you, it just got real, right? Because at the end of the day, are those things important? Sure. We should live lives that are holy, that are righteous before God. But, but you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, the world's going to know you're my followers if you love each other really well. If you love each other sacrificially, that's how they're going to know that. Do you know why we do the egg hunt? It's not because Easter eggs are spiritual or holy. In fact, they're not spiritual or holy at all. We don't celebrate the Easter bunny. We celebrate a risen Savior, by the way. But our culture doesn't largely care about a risen Savior. What they care about is free stuff for their kids. So what we do is engage our culture at a level that they want to be engaged at. We engage them at that level and say, hey, you know what? We're going to serve you. We're going to bless you. We're going to provide this event for you. And our hopes are that when they come into contact with us, they're going to see the love of Christ just exuding from us, and they're going to be drawn to that. They're going to see how we love them, how we love each other, and they're going to say, man, I Something about these people. These people are weird, but in a good way, right? 
And I have no doubt in my mind, maybe today, maybe there's somebody here that, that you came to the Easter egg hunt for the first time yesterday. That's great. But I guarantee you next weekend for Easter, there's going to be people that make a decision to worship with us because they experienced the love of God. They saw love one for another. And they said, there's something about these people. They're marked, right? There's something different. Their identity is different than anything I've seen before. There's, there's something that's real. There's something that's authentic there. Have you ever heard the old saying, uh, the, the proof is in the pudding? In the South, we say the proof is in the pudding. We lose the G for some reason. The proof is in the pudding. Uh, and I know what that means, but I never really understood it, so I, I looked it up. And the original statement was the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That's the original statement. And what it's saying is, um, does anybody like pudding? Oh, yeah. I, lo I love me some banana pudding. And uh, <laughs> Ricky's anointed. Yes, Lord. Yes. <laughs> Woo! Banana. Woo! Big bowl of banana pudding. It's got the big slices of bananas in it. Um, and then you don't scrimp on your banana pudding. You don't get... The knockoff Nilla wafers, you know, they're vanilla wafers. We get the real thing, Nilla wafers, right? <laughs> you just got tons of Nilla wafers in there. And it could look beautiful, look, look, look wonderful. But you would never know until you put some in a bowl, right? You try it. You experience it. And what we see here, what Christ is saying to us, if I can say it this way, the proof is in the, the pudding, right? See, we can look great, we can say all the right things. We can raise our hands at the right moment when we're supposed to, right? Like, oh, I know, there's a key change. I'm going to raise my hand. Oh, this is the spiritual moment. I'm raising my hand. We can go through all the motions. We can look great, but the proof is in the pudding, right? When you experience someone, when you share your life with them, when you walk alongside them and you see fruit and you see authentic love, that's when you know this is an authentic, true believer in Christ, right? So some of us want to fake it. We buy the t-shirt and we go through the motions. We put the sticker on the car, but at the end of the day, none of that stuff matters. What matters is what is being birthed in our lives. Are we loving each other sacrificially and loving each other well? And if we're not, then it's not authentic. We're marked, but we're not marked with the mark of Christ. So the seal that the Holy Spirit brings, it identifies us. The second thing it does is it, it protects us. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says this, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And aren't you grateful for that? That God is faithful. He's established you and he will guard you against the evil one. Now, let me just caution you here. Because when we make a statement like this, we immediately want to say, that is great. That means I'm never getting a flat tire. I'm never going to get fired. I'm never going to have relationship issues because if I'm really loving Jesus, everything's going to be perfect. There's a magic bubble that will go over me in 15 feet in every direction and I'm going to be protected, right? No, that is not the case. There are certain things that the, that the Holy Spirit will protect us from, but what we see over and over and over is that suffering is a part of our lives, unfortunately. What this means is when we're sealed in the Holy Spirit and he protects us, it doesn't mean that we're never going to experience the loss of a loved one. It doesn't mean we're never going to lose a job. That is not what it's talking about. There are things in our lives that we will be protected from, but suffering in this world is not one of them. 
See, we don't escape that till we get to heaven someday. When we talked a few weeks ago, uh, week one, we talked about being stripped. We talked about Job and how he was a righteous man before God. And, and God said to Satan, you can take everything except his life. And he lost everything. But God protected him. He spared him. See, we are going to lose much in our lives, unfortunately. It doesn't mean God's not good. It just means that that's part of the world we live in, unfortunately. That's part of the consequences, but God's going to restore it. God's going to make all things right at some point. But what we see here is there's protection for believers, but there's certain things that are protected more than others. The first thing that we see we're protected in is that God protects our confidence of salvation. I'm grateful for this. In Romans 8, 16 and 17, it says this, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also, um, may be glorified with him. So, it's a good question. Um, this is what it means for us. This is the application for us. Um, we see here, Paul says, hey, there's life for us, but we have to understand there's suffering for us. So there's restoration and resurrection in Christ, but there's also suffering in Christ, right? And we don't like that part, but that's true. But let me go back to the first part. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I know we all like to act like we're all super spiritual and we never question things, but if we're going to be honest, haven't we all questioned our own salvation at some point or another? Hasn't there been a moment when we're living our lives and, and things aren't going very well and maybe we've blown it, maybe we've messed up royally and, and the enemy whispers in our ear, and you know, a child of God would never act like that. You know, if you're really a Christian, why would you ever think that way? Why would you ever treat someone like that? Why would you ever say that? Sometimes we do that to ourselves. Just condemnation is heaped on us. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Because remember, the Holy Spirit showed up at the point of salvation with us. He was drawing us and wooing us. So when Jesus entered in, the Holy Spirit entered in as well. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and he reminds us what happened. He, he, he bears witness. So he tells us what he has seen. So what he does when we hear those voices and go, would a, would a real Christian really act like that? Really think like that? Really be like that? The Holy Spirit goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me tell you what I've experienced. Let me tell you about the day that you accepted Jesus into your life. I was there. I saw it, Right? Let me tell you about who you are in Christ. Let me tell you about the, what the word of God says about who you are. See, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. He reminds us of who we are in him. See, our, our salvation is secure. That's the reason I worded it this way. He protects the confidence of our salvation. He doesn't have to protect our salvation. Our salvation is secure. Uh, when I was younger, I used to think that our salvation was tenuous at best. So God would write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, but he had an eraser ready to go, <laughs> right? So, I mean, as like a 10-year-old, I mean, I, I, probably, I probably was saved thousands of times when I was a kid because I thought every time I did anything wrong, my salvation it, it vanished. And what I've realized is grace is much, much stronger than what I thought when I was younger. That we can still walk away from our faith in Christ, but we don't lose it. We don't lose it like our keys. You ever been walking out the door and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I do with my keys? Where are they, right? And you, you start looking for them. 
We don't misplace our relationship with Christ. We don't lose it, but we can walk away from it. But what we see here is the Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are when we question that. He protects the confidence of our salvation. He helps us remember that in Christ we are secure, we are firm. And we've seen in several passages today already that he establishes us. So we're set, we're secure. Second thing we see here is he protects us against overwhelming temptation. See, Jesus even taught his disciples this. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. We need some help. And so he taught them the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is how you pray. This is a model for prayer. And this is not supposed to be just recited you know, mindlessly for the rest of eternity. That's not what the intent was. It was, here's the model by which we learn how to pray. And one of the things he said in there, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one is really probably the better way to translate that. Deliver us from Satan. And lead us not into temptation. See, the Holy Spirit seals us and protects us against overwhelming temptation. See, sometimes we give in to temptation. We go, this is just more than I could handle. It's more than I could take. I mean, anybody would have given in for that, right? But that's not what the Word of God says. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when, uh, with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when we're tempted, we're tempted in the same way anyone is tempted. If the details might look a little different, but we're all tempted in the same kind of way. We all face similar temptations. And I'm thankful that he provides a way for us to escape that temptation. He provides a way for us to get out of that. And every time I read the, the news or, or hear news about a, a prominent minister in our nation, who's had some sort of moral failure, it, it grieves my heart. It breaks my heart. Um, and then just this last week, I read of a very prominent minister here in the United States facing sexual assault charges for, um, for having inappropriate relationships with people that, that worked for him. And when I see that, I don't think, oh, I'm better than him because I wouldn't do that. When I, when I see that, I think, I'm human too. And if I put myself in a bad position, I'm probably going to do something stupid too because I'm not better than him. This was a man that, that you would think was beyond reproach, would never have any issues, never have any problems, but he has. And so when I look at that, I have to realize that, that, that he had set up guidelines for his staff and said things like never be alone with a woman who's not your wife, right? These are things I've done and I've talked about. But at some point he thought, no, I'm good. I can resist that temptation, at my age, at my experience level, I can resist it, it will be fine. And he didn't because he put himself in a bad position. See, he didn't realize he was putting himself in position to be tempted and to fall potentially. But as he grew, he, <laughs> he thought he was immune and he was not. So what we have to understand as mature believers is none of us are immune to temptation. None of us are above it. All of us can fall. All of us can do stupid things if we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. So that's why we guard our hearts. That's why we continually say, God, I know you're not gonna tempt me beyond what I can bear. So if I'm in a position I'm tempted, help me see and help me be disciplined enough to make the right choices. 
because God is not the one who tempts us. He protects us from overwhelming temptation. In 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, it says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may, the, uh, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. See, he's sanctifying us. And at that, on that day, he'll sanctify us completely. And so what, what we see here in Thessalonians is, is this prayer that, that he who began a work will finish it. He who started this work will be faithful and, and complete it. And this is what God does. He protects us from overwhelming temptation. He protects us uh, in our confidence of salvation. So what we see here is that God identifies who we are. He marks us in the Holy Spirit, and then he protects us. Um, is anybody, are, are there any like people, maybe you don't like sports, but you love the Olympics? Is there anybody like that? Yeah, at the Olympics, I, people get weird about the Olympics. I didn't watch any of the Winter Olympics this year, and it's not because I'm not patriotic. I just don't really like it that much. I don't, just don't care that much. But the Summer Olympics, for some reason, is different. I don't know, sprinters and runners and basketball and all those kind of things. Um, but one of the things I've never understood about the Olympics was the Olympic torch, the Olympic flame. And, you know, they'll, they'll run it for miles and they'll pass it on and then they light the big Olympic flame, you know, at the opening games, uh, opening ceremony. And I've never understood that. And recently I read a little bit about it and um, that was taken from uh, Greek games that predate the Olympics. And there was a race in this, these games that predate the Olympics and it was called the torch race. And in the torch race, uh, the winner of the race wasn't the person who crossed the finish line first. The winner of the race was the person who crossed the finish line first with their torch still lit. So each runner had a torch, and the person had to cross the finish line with their torch lit. And whoever did it first was the winner. And so there were relays involved in this as well. It could be an individual event or it could be a relay where you would light someone else's torch, and then they would run. And so this is where they get, um, part of where they get the, the modern day torch relay that we see in the Olympics. And this is so interesting to me because we use race metaphors a lot when it comes to scripture. And we talk about running the race and we press on and Paul talks about I press on toward the goal and I forget what's behind, right, in Philippians. So we understand this, but what we don't understand sometimes is it's not just about running fast and getting to where we want to be. It's about keeping our flame lit for God. It's about maintaining a passion and a heart for him and intimacy with him. And this is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps protect that. The Holy Spirit helps guard that against being snuffed out. So for some of us, maybe you've been running this race for a while and you have neglected your flame. You've forgotten that that's an important part of it. And I would encourage you, the Holy Spirit helps maintain intimacy with us if we'll just pay attention. He helps keep our flame lit, helps keep us connected with, with God if we'll just pay attention to that. So what does the Holy Spirit do for us? <laughs> A couple of things are he identifies us, he marks us, and he protects us. When it comes to this table, um, <laughs> I think it looks better than it did. And you might be sitting here saying, it doesn't, right? <laughs> I liked it better before. And you know what I think? I don't care. I don't care at all what you think about it because it's got some bumps in it because the dust from my, from my garage, I mean, from my basement, I mean, it's not perfect at all. It's got some, some nicks. It's got some issues. 
This is not a perfect table, but I don't care what you think about it because I'm the one who redid it. So it doesn't have to make you happy. It's got to make me happy. And when we talk about the series in context about being restored and being repurposed and being sent out, what we have to understand is we don't have to make anybody happy except the creator. The people around us can go, you're not doing it right, right? You're not, you're not supposed to do that. But if you make the creator happy, who cares what anyone else says? You can have your nooks and your bumps and your issues because we all do. The creator's gonna sand out what he needs to sand out. He's gonna work on you and do what he needs to do in you. And remember what we said a few weeks ago, um, restoring a project like this is about starting and starting again. There's gonna be starts and stops. There's gonna be, this table's gonna get redone again at some point by someone probably. That's okay. I'm telling you today, it's not about making everybody happy. It's about making the creator happy. So today, put that aside. Don't worry about being perfect. Don't worry about making everybody around you happy. Just say, God, what do you want from my life and how can I make you happy? And if you do that, it's gonna be great. God's gonna restore you. Let me pray with you. God, we love you today and we're so thankful that you restore us, that you see purpose and, and, and a plan, you have a vision for us even when we feel like we've been put on the shelf. God, I'm thankful that your Holy Spirit identifies us and marks us as believers, that as authentic believers, there's fruit that's born in our lives, that we love each other well. We resolve our differences biblically. So God, I thank you that that's the work the Holy Spirit does in us, that, that he identifies us. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit protects us as well. So God, I pray that we would, Lord, find shelter in you and protection in you. So God, have your way among us today. God, I pray for those that are here that aren't believers in you, that have never really confessed you as Lord, that have never really invited you into their lives, God, I pray that today would be the day that it would experience that flame coming alive in them, what it means to experience true life. Lord, I pray for those that are here that maybe still feel a little bit like they're abandoned, feel a little bit like they're, they're on the shelf, God. Minister in them, help them see that you do have a purpose for them. Lord, I pray for the people that are here that are in any process of this restoration. They're being stained or sanded or stripped Maybe they're being sealed, whatever it is in their life, whatever step in this process they're in, God, help them see that you have a purpose for them, that there is, there is a sending out, that there's a work for them, a holy work that you have for them that no one else can do. So God, I pray that you'd help us all in whatever way we need to be helped. God, speak into us what I could never speak, but your Holy Spirit can. So help us hear that, help us receive that today. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving God, but I want to. My, my life isn't for him, but, but I want it to be. I've never really surrendered my life to God, but today I want to do that. I'm not going to make you come forward or embarrass you, but if that's you today, would you be bold enough just to put your hand up real high and say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. I'll pray with you. Yeah, I see you in the back on my right. A couple of hands. Thank you so much. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me today. I want to give my life to God. I want my life to matter for something. Yeah, thank you. I see you. Praise God. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Thank you. I see you over here on my left. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I see you, sir. Thank you. All right, well, let's pray this prayer together. Whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to say this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
And thank you for paying the price for my sins with your blood on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. Thank you that you're with me, that you protect me, and that I am identified by your mark. Help me love others well. And I pray that you would bear fruit in my life that impacts the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want to say how proud I am of you, how excited I am for you. Um, we want to help you take the next step and grow in your faith, just like we talked about being children of God. Children need people to help them grow well, right? And so we want to help you uh, grow well and become who God wants you to be. If you would, fill the card out that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side it says, need prayer. On the other side it says, salvation. And if you would, just take that card out and you can fill out the side of the card that says, salvation, and drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. If you can't reach one of those cards or if you're watching online and want to respond, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to help get you connected with relationships and resources that are going to help you grow in your faith. So if you're here in the Indiana area, we'll get you connected here at Summit Church. If you're not in the area, if you're off somewhere else throughout the United States, we'll help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can get connected with and grow in your faith as well. So again, thank you for worshiping with us today. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. And while we're singing together, the prayer team is going to make their way forward. And they'll be on either side of the stage. And they'll be available for you to pray with if you need prayer for any reason at all. And then in just a moment, uh, we're going to finish singing. And Pastor Todd stands. Stanley is going to come and he'll close us out. And don't forget, uh, as we finish singing, we're going to see one update video from, from Peter Good, our, our missionary partner in, um, in Greece. Please don't leave uh, when we're done singing. I want you to see that. And then in just a moment, Pastor Todd will dismiss us. Stand to your feet all over the room. We're going to sing together one more time before we go today, guys. Uh, I tell you regularly, but I hope you know this. I'm sincere. I love you more than you know. And I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great week.